Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? Where are we at? How you feeling after the big, long weekend? That strange, disassociative weekend. It just starts on Wednesday or Thursday, and it kind of smears on the calendar. You do the eating. You do the traveling. It's just a very weird time. I, I mean, I lost all sense of you know personal history, all sense of self-respect from the amount of food I ate, all sense of any kind of temporal. Is that the word I want? Temporal? Is that time? I just, you know, on top of the the general weirdness post-COVID of time and the cultural malaise and shit show and just, you know, the climate weirdness, it just, everything becomes strange and it's stranger when you just... You're floating in this Thanksgiving zone of long weekendness, and it, this thing goes on through Christmas. It's just this is the weird time, usually just mildly weird because it's kind of vacation, but it's kind of sad and it's kind of winter. I'm in L.A., but still now with the, it's just compounded by a, just a maelstrom of anti-Semitism and weirdness, and just the general kind of like what. When did the sky stop working? But let's not make it negative. How was your uh, thing? Did you do a thing? I was very fortunate to bring food to another place so it didn't stay in my house. I'm very fortunate not to have to look at a carcass and uh, you know a pot of potatoes and way too much gravy and two different kinds of cranberry stuff and just wonder, like, how do we eat this all? How many days are it going to take us to eat it? And should we throw it out? When can we throw it out? But I hope it went well for you. I hope everything uh, worked out. Look, today on the show, uh, I talk with Rob Delaney. I recorded it in London, as you remember when I was there. Uh, You know Rob from the show Catastrophe and also his comedy and Deadpool and being one of the first big Twitter stars back in the day. Rob was on the show back in 2010, episode 55, one of our great early episodes. It was heavy, man. A lot has happened for Rob since then. He moved to London with his wife and his two young boys. And while they were living there, they had a third kid, Henry. But Henry uh, passed away. And Rob just wrote a book uh, called The Heart That Works about Henry's diagnosis of a brain tumor the two years leading up to his death and how Rob and his family dealt with their grief. Also, I've got a short talk with my friend Sam Lipsight to talk about his new novel, No One Left to Come Looking for You. Very funny. Well, let's get back to this Thanksgiving business. I, uh, yeah, I cooked a brisket. I did a 10-hour smoke in the Traeger, 
and it came out pretty fucking good. I baked a chess pie, brought that over with the stuffing, the amazing philosophy professor stuffing, the, uh, yeah, the loaded stuffing, the stuffing full of baggage, the slightly traumatic, perhaps uh, sexually inappropriate cost of that stuffing is something that I have stuck in my memory, but I've framed it and processed it and I'm left with stuffing and he's dead. But I, I, I did have a nice time, but I, I think that I'm a little, I'm a little tweaked. I'm a little tweaked. I've been pretty detached from like social media. Like I'm not, I'm not the Twitter thing. It's odd. It didn't affect me that much. I don't use Twitter that much and I'm not that upset about it. I, I, I'd be more than happy for it to go. Uh, Instagram, I'm barely on that anymore. You know, I check it occasionally. Uh, you know, I'm limiting the, uh, the email intake, you know, to mostly my, just my personal emails. And I'm just trying to clear my head to, uh, you know, to get into this special. I got to shoot the special on the eighth and I've only got three more shows to prepare for it. And it's, this happens every time. I'm still not sure of how it's how it's going to be structured. I need it to be fresh in my head. I need something new to happen. Like, I'd like to think that I'm not nervous about it, but look, man, I'm sucking down cigars. I'm eating everything in sight. I'm losing my fucking mind. I'm jacked up on caffeine. It feels like that I just need to kind of rev up my brain in a sort of mania slash shame-driven depression business, just this mishmash of emotions and feelings to avoid any sort of anxiety about the actual task at hand, which would cause anybody anxiety. But I just choose to fill in that that world of possibilities of dread with a lot of other things so I can be like, nah, I feel I'm, I'm pretty relaxed about the special. Look, you know, we've all been going through this in terms of with me. You know, I've been doing this material for a year and a half and now we're going to do it. And I can only be an hour. And I'm sort of in this zone where it's like, I really need this cultural stuff to be in there and I need this personal stuff to be in there. And it's just a matter of like finding the redundancies, trimming it down, weaving it together. And you would have thought I'd be working on that for the last year, but no, it really comes down to the wire with me. It's just the way I do it. So I've got these couple of shows coming up in Asheville and then I've got the one in Nashville and then I'm, I'm doing the thing. Got to figure out what shoes to wear. I got to figure out how to not wear clothing that I'll only wear that one day and regret wearing for the rest of my life. I cannot seem to land in an outfit on television that I like ever, ever. The last special, I don't know what I was thinking. I, the last special, I wore a vest and I wore a, a collarless uh, shirt and uh, these pants it looked okay, but I was a little too skinny and like I never wore the vest again because I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. The, la the special before that, I wore some old ass chamois shirt, this red one that was like, that it was very comfortable. And I'm like, I'm just going to wear stuff that I wear every day. It's like, no, no, it's a special. It's going to be around forever. Wear special things, but not new. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I got a stylist for this one to advise me. But I just bought these new pants, black jeans at Ship John, and these new T-shirts that he set me up with, and uh, they look pretty fucking good. And or maybe a Western style shirt. I don't know, dude. I think really what's going on is um, I just need to do this special, 
and I need a a a, a long break from hammering out the stand-up. And it's coming. And I've got plans. I don't know what you guys are doing for Christmas, but uh, I'm going to go spend time with my father. I'm going to see my mother uh, in between my Nashville show and my New York show, do some family stuff, and just sort of uh, do the life thing. It's so weird, man. You know, just talking getting older, talking to people. I was talking to Tom Driesen last night who's been on the show. He's telling stories about old-timey show business. I'm hanging out with Tom Rhodes, who I hadn't seen in a while. You start to realize this is like, we're kind of the new older guys, and Driesen's like the, the way older guy. Used to open for Sinatra. Told an amazing story about uh, Sinatra and saving Johnny Carson's life. And I don't remember him telling me that story, but apparently it's in his book. Still standing, I think it's called. But it was just so funny. It was me, Mo Mandel, my buddy Jerry Stahl, who had gone with me to the comedy store. And we're just standing around Tom. And he's telling these straight up fucking mob stories and all this Chicago stuff and this Vegas stuff. And it's just there's not there's not many of them left when show business was glorious and all the clubs were mob owned back in the day. You know, and I just, I found myself at the comedy store the last couple nights doing a lot of parking lot time, just hanging out in the lot, talking to the young guys, talking to the old guys, getting ready to do my special, being a comic. So look, um, Sam Lipsight is really one of my closest friends. And I have to be honest with you, this new book, No One Left to Come Looking for You, is a great, funny book book and it's a quick read because it just moves and it's it really it's set on the lower east side in the music scene and it's just so funny and so tight and and it's just and there's a sort of a who done it at the core of it it's great uh and it comes out no one left to come looking for you comes out next tuesday december 6th but you can uh, pre-order it now wherever you get books And this is me and Sam catching up. No one left to come looking for me. For you. No one left to come looking for you. Oh, I blew it? (laughs) Yeah. Damn it. No one one left to come looking for you. Yeah. Um... Is that a, is that a riff on the on the Hillel thing or the or no? It's, the, a, it's actually a, not Hillel. It, the, uh, it's quoted. It's it's from it's the it's a lyric from a uh, song by the band Come. Oh, oh if but you remember Come. I don't remember Come, but it is a good window into the world yeah. we're talking about. No, you know the one. It's like when they came for the hoo hoos. You know, uh, you know. I said I'm not a hoo hoo. When they came for the yah yahs, right? Yeah, exactly. They said I'm yeah. not a yah yah. Yeah. And then when they came for me. There was no one. No, left. no one left. Yeah, people like they, that used to be, I think, wrongly attributed to Einstein or something. No, it was like, a philosopher. Sure. Was it well, Pop or not? Uh, Hofstetter. Hofst, Hoffer, no, no, Hoff, is no, it Hoffer? no. It was. Uh, I know who you mean. It was the theologian philosopher, right? Uh, New, New Niebuhr. Was yeah. it Niebuhr? What was his name? Yeah, we'll have to. Was it him though? I don't think so. No, I think it was always wrongly attributed. I, I no, don't it's know. that guy Hoffer. I think okay. we have the technology yeah, just to just look, look it up. It up. Right? I've seen it attributed to 20 different people, is what I'm saying. What? What do you want? House cleaning? Uh, what, do, what do you got? We're, we're good. <laughs> so, like, okay, so by Martin Nymoller. 
German Lutheran pastor. Right. But that's not Newber. What's his name? What's that guy? Yeah, it was a, that was a thing with different somebody else. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. This is from the cum lyric. Move, we should move back. This is the yeah. cum lyric. We should, yeah. From the band <laughs> yeah, Cum. Yeah. That has nothing to do with nothing, when they came for. Nothing to do with the Jews or anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> although I think, although the, the, the leader of that band or one of them, a woman named Talia Zedek. Yeah. Um... Was a Jew? I think she she is. I think so. Oh, is a Jew? Yeah, I'm yeah. Not, but I'm not sure. But the thing is, in terms of like <laughs> this book is, and I've read a lot of your books, and I'll I will say that I've read I think all of them except the one that you sent me on, and I got to read the short one. But I feel that the pace of this, like you can't put it down. A lot of great characters. Good. Uh, there's a little bit of a detective story. There's there's points of reference in reality. Yeah. Uh, that was an interesting uh, curveball about halfway through. Uh, and also, I feel like, you know, not unlike, like, so, look, I feel like you live part of this life. And I know that, like, it's not you. And I and honestly, dude, this time I didn't even picture you. I right. almost always picture you as the main guy. Right. And well, usually picture- the main guy is, you know, this kind of dumpy middle aged guy. Exactly. Who's feeling but like, I, you know, the pressures of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's easier to picture you like that. Exactly. But I didn't even picture a young Sam. I didn't picture a, a mulleted Sam. Right, yes. From uh, his rock a, days. A young, husky, mulleted Sam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but not a mullet because of the mullet. I think it was just overcompensating for what you were losing, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a party in the back and nothing in front. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. It's like I still got something. Go fuck yourself. And yeah, a, a defunct business in front. Um, yeah, it is. It takes place in a, a very specific. It's it's a, it's, it's 1993. It's the East Village. Yeah. I wasn't a band then, and this main character, his name is uh, Jonathan Liptak, but he decides that his <laughs> he's going to be called Jack Shit. Yeah, because he's in a band called the Shits. Yeah, and they and he the, the novel begins. He wakes up one day. And his roommate, who is the lead singer of the band and has a terrible drug problem, yeah. has disappeared with Jack Shit's bass. Yeah. Jack Shit is the bass player. And he's pretty convinced that he's taken the bass to sell for drugs. Right. And so the 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 novel takes place over a few days as he's searching for his lead singer and his bass. Yeah. And it takes him deeper and deeper into into some mysteries and some a murder. And, yeah. And so it becomes a kind of like a detective novel of sorts that also includes sort of uh, figures of the time, some of whom be- became even more powerful as time yes, went on. Yes, it was. It, be, it involved the uh, the New York machine, the New York, political machine. There's of the New the York time. political machine. There's the 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 police yeah. of that you know of that neighborhood. Um, there, the drugs of that there, neighborhood. There are the drugs and the drug dealers. So there's a lot going on, and um, and we and he sort of jack shit is our guide through it. But it's hilarious because you have to really sort of construct a, a music scene out of what was sort of like you know just I, I guess like no wave was probably about that time or was it everything was shifting. Into yeah, everything was shifting. It was just well, it was just before Nirvana. Hit right. and then right after Nirvana, so everything so it's sort that's, of straddling that that period of time. Yeah, that they're they're in that that's when I was there. Yeah, and the thing that was interesting that I mean I think about this a lot 
about living there and living in any kind of congested area like that is there are probably, you know, a hundred music scenes happening on top of each yes. other, unaware of each other. Yes. So like you're in your little circuit with, you're in your little circuit with your bands, yeah. your friends, yeah. the clubs you play right. on certain nights, the, yeah. where you practice, where, the bars you hang out in, right. um, the apartments you hang out in. And, you know, then you like are walking down the street and you see flyers for some other bands and you know they're in the same neighborhood you are playing the same places but you're kind of like i don't know anything about that right <laughs> yeah. yeah right and like i have my world yeah. i have my little it's know. true and that, yeah. but there was only a certain there's only a few cities that that could happen in yeah right and this was one of this them. this was one of them yeah. and and also you just have the crashing waves of everything that came before in new york yeah you know like you know the uh, original punks performance art right. uh, you know new wave no wave art music well that these these the, these characters in this book are very much aware of how they're I think the Yiddish word is nachschleppers. They're you know the ones who've come after. They're sort yeah. of they're it's they're too late in yeah. some ways. You know, right. punk came and went. Right. You know, they're they're in a kind of post-punk age. Right. But right. what does that mean? And and then new, and it's new New York. You know, what does it mean to be in New York? And now they're kind of almost the first wave of these gentrifying people. And they're like there are people in the novel talking about that a lot right and also so, about like you know the the band that sold out that in there yeah, so, getting all the attention and then there's the band that like signs to yeah, Geffen right. and like the our narrator is very he's both incredibly you know bitter about them he also kind of secretly thinks they're good yeah yeah he doesn't want to admit that right. to anyone but that one of the best <laughs> details of it is the guy who 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 has the band that almost everyone has been in yeah right that that to me is such a, a detail of a music scene of any music scene right. that everybody of, has passed through yeah. that guy's band yeah. and it still exists in, in some form yeah it's his band at yeah. this point and um that's so funny that band is called the annihilation of the soft left <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good names a lot of good yeah. funny but uh but so with this book though like what were the decisions you made? Like, how is it different? Because, like, it was. Do you think it's because it is such familiar terrain that it just like the the pace of it is different? But you're you know you, you no. Well, my last book was pretty. Uh, it was a long book, and there were a lot of different voices. Hark, Hark and there were different uh, different POVs in it. I would yeah. switch characters, yeah. and it was you know poly. You know, it 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 was multi voiced. Let's right. put it that way. In this right. book, I just knew I wanted it to be this one narrator. Um, and take place in a few days and just be very contained yeah and be um and be and really i was thinking about that time it was i wrote most of this during the pandemic yeah and i i, I just decided i actually bought a couple of notebooks and i had this like cheap fountain pen and yeah. i just wrote it that way and like didn't even look at the computer for a long time and just said you i wrote it by hand i said i have to write a whole draft by hand before i put anything into the computer that was your idea that yeah and i just wanted to like get down to that the, was the ritual that was the ritual i wanted to get to the real physicality of writing this book yeah. and staying in this book yeah and um so yeah it's all it's all in like a couple notebooks and um the first draft really and uh and i was really those memories, you know, it all changes in the book and it's not, the book is not my story or the story of my band, uh -huh. but the feel of being alive in that time and place, uh, I was very connected to it while I was writing the book. And each day I would just, you know, find myself just descending into that sense yeah. of being like yeah. 24. And I, I was having to channel my, you know, really kind of both 
you know, very alive and very dumb 24 year old yeah, head yeah, yeah. to like to get there. It's so funny too <laughs> that like descriptions of everything and the drugs and his like, you, you know, the bodega thing. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a fucking, like, it's a type of, it's a New York novel, but it's not the kind you really, you know, I've never seen one like this. And you yeah. wrote it all on paper. Do you think that, that the idea of writing in notebooks uh, connects you to something more personal because it is sort of a way uh, of journaling in a, in a sense? Maybe. I mean, I also, it also connects me to like, to me, writing is, can, is even though we don't think of it this way, yeah. is a very physical act. Yeah. And the, the more sometimes I can, at least for me, I can get in touch with the yeah. physicality of, of, you know, using ink to put yeah. down, to put, to, to make these symbols on a page right. in a certain order yeah. to evoke feelings in other people. Like that's, you know, that's a thing I'm doing with my body as well as my mind right. or they're one thing really, yeah. and it's sort of one process. And so that was very useful for me to just get this draft, that first draft done and to feel that I could just tap into this one flow for the whole. Right. But isn't that sort of like a, like almost like this weird Kerouacian trip where you like, you, well, you, but you don't have access to, well, he to was, cutting and pasting. he was writing on this. Tele- I get it. Yeah, but like, yeah. but I'm just saying editorially like that, that, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I was editing as I went. I wasn't. Right. Not, but you yeah. weren't. But things weren't going in the trash. You like right. in the sense of yeah. like when you're editing as you go along on a computer, you can literally excise things and they disappear del- forever. Yeah, exactly. So, no, here you just have to cross it out. Yeah, it's but it there. still exists. It still exists as this crossed out page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's that. But that's good. Yeah. That 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 you, that means you're completely responsible for your train of thought without the access of, of uh, computer-enabled decision-making, which, which no. takes you out of a flow. Like, you can make decisions on the computer which completely upend whatever your real train of thought was because you can just move shit around. Right. I mean, one of, uh, you know, one of my favorite writers, who I know you like a lot, Stanley Elkin, yeah. uh, he, he, you know, he was middle-aged by the time the word processor really became something yeah. that people could use. And he he said, "Oh well, everyone should be able to write a perfect novel at this point." Right. <laughs> with that thing. With that thing. <laughs> right. That's the way he saw it. Yeah. I wonder if he did. He use one. Yeah, he did. Oh but yeah. He called it his bubble machine. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like, do you like? I thought. I, I honestly thought like this. This book like ended solid. Yeah. Like the third act was great. Like you know, you, it's satisfying. Oh, you know? oh, thank you. I'm glad. Yeah, because that's a hard. That's a hard one, right? How do you land this thing? The landing it is really hard sometimes, right? Because yeah. you got all this stuff like building up to it. How do you make those kind of decisions? Like, because you know, it's a very weird thing about endings in novels. I can't imagine the struggle of that. Well, it's 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 funny because I knew you know. I threw these things into motion in the beginning that yeah. they had, you know, the show coming well, up. That's it. You also had to solve a caper. I, I had mean, to solve a caper. They, I mean, it's very Scooby-Doo in a way. They had to, you know, they have to, he solves, they solve the caper. Mm-hmm. They deal, they have a show and then they have a show to play. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then I knew that couldn't be the end. There right. had to be this other little coda. Right. right. And that had to, so like, you know, I always sometimes, have, you know, I think of this as a, it's, it's a, a circle, yeah, but it doesn't meet. Yeah, the, the two ends don't meet. Yeah, they one kind of goes off. Right, 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 right. And that that's sort of how you want to think about your ending. So, so like, right. just veering off a little bit. But but yeah. on some level, the circle completes, but it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't become a whole circle. Exactly. It, it there's some other yeah, thing that exactly. shoots over yeah, here. Exactly. Like, where's that going? Yeah. 
to try another circle. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's going over to, to yeah. bleak to yeah. start a new circle. <laughs> yeah, to start over again. But when you were like, because I thought it was all very, I guess, visceral as it were, because I could picture all these people from down there on the Lower East Side, because I lived there between second on second between A and B. So I was like, I could see all of it. Right. And yeah, but that's where you were hanging out too, right? Yeah, that's exactly where I lived. You lived, where'd you, what street you I live lived on? a couple different places, but yeah, Avenue B. Yeah. Ninth Street. Wow. Jeez, man. So what happens? Is it going to be a movie? Oh, I, n- not, not, not that I know of, unless. Uh, well, it has to come out first, I guess. Yeah. I think it would be a very good movie. It'd be great. Yeah. It'd be a great movie. I, okay, so do you want to pitch it? You don't need me, though. You can do it on your own. Just call your agent. It's not a TV show. You don't need me. You already wrote it. I, I, I think it's a TV show. You do? Yeah. I mean, maybe a limited... Miniseries? Miniseries, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a movie. You're on a roll, dude. It's, yeah, well, like, you know. Yeah, you're thinking ahead. <laughs> Sam Website, people. No One Left to Come Looking for You comes out next Tuesday, December 6th. Pre-order it now. Funny book, good book, tight book, beautifully written book. We'll have more of me and Sam posting this week for full Marin subscribers. Plenty left. Go to the link in the episode description to subscribe to WTF Plus or go to WTFPod.com and click on WTF Plus to get all that stuff. Now, let's go back to England. I did a few interviews in England. I interviewed... I interviewed uh, Rob Delaney, Armando Iannucci, uh, Courtney Love, uh, Tommy Tiernan. And I guess this is the second of the UK conversations. I was actually in Ireland when I interviewed Tommy. But uh, me and Rob caught up. Me and Rob go back. Um, the difference between Rob's life now and Rob's life when I first talked to him is profound and a, a beautiful success story, but also a, a, a tragic a horrible event occurred that he had to process, which we talk about it, uh, the the loss of his son. And um, the book, uh, A Heart That Works, comes out tomorrow, November 29th. You can get it wherever you get books. And this is me uh, catching up and really talking about, about grief and loss, among other things, with Rob Delaney. Yeah, we might as well just get on the mics and regroup. What do okay, you think? Okay, terrific. Yeah, you very good about it. Too. Yeah, nice it's, to be holding I, a mic too, like an American. When was the last time you fucking held a mic? Well, uh, I haven't done much stand-up post-pandemic uh, because I've been fortunate to be doing a lot of acting work, yeah. and I have young kids. Yeah, and I, after Henry's death, I don't. Uh, you know, I massively prioritize family time. So I would love to be doing more stand-up, but now with the book right. and acting, haven't done right. much. But right. I was doing a shitload up until up until the pandemic. Really? But I've only been on stage. Yeah, no, the reason I specified I'm happy to be holding a mic is because I've been doing things where projection was necessary for the last few months, but it's always like a British head mic where, where I, come on, I want to hold my gun you know what i mean so <laughs> I, I didn't know that i didn't know there was a thing a british head mic mm-hmm. you mean the ted talk mic yeah the ted talk mic the wraparound mic yeah brits love that they'll do stand-up in one of those yeah Jesus. I don't, I, it always looks odd to me it looks yeah. like uh, i always feel like that that you're sort of expected to do magic yeah or something. yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little trick <laughs> pull a rabbit out of your hat but i was looking at the uh the i haven't talked to you 
it's no, it's been a long time. 2010. Is that true? Is that fucking nuts? That's, that's distressing. When, that's when the that's when that podcast when we did that podcast. My lord! But I don't feel uh, like distant from you. No, I'm very abreast of all that you do. In fact, um, you're familiar to me. Yeah, the bad guys is on heavy rotation in our house. That's you're right. so good in that. Thank Christ, Mark <laughs> Marin is doing cartoons because your voice is so just glorious. Oh, good, I mean, it's Thanks. so good. I, I was funny because with that, I was the only. I've drinking nine Americanos. I have no oh, sense. Terrific. <laughs> I have no sense I've of four. Uh, you have <laughs> just four. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I miss drip coffee. That's it. Starts to depress me when I get here. I'm like, I can't take any more espresso. Yeah. Know? It's funny. They so I've lived here for eight years now, and mm. people sometimes if you go somewhere, whatever, uh, yeah. some holding room or whatever, and they're yeah. like, "Oh, apologies, the coffee's not that good." I'm like, "Oh, it's fine. I'm American. I'll yeah. drink garbage. Is it brown? <laughs> Let's have it." You know, <laughs> it, but it's still espresso. Yeah, uh, sometimes, yeah. I can't find a drip coffee, but uh, yeah. So I'm sweating because I, I have no way to calibrate how much of this I need. Yeah. Well, you're among brethren. <laughs> uh, 2010. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you were, you know, you hadn't done anything, really. No, ever. nobody knew who I was, certainly. And you were, like, you know, brooding and weird a little nah. bit, were you? <laughs> I mean, I remember we talked about the horrendous uh, alcoholic uh, yeah. bottom hitting I mean, and the driving the car. But, I mean, yeah. you were doing stand-up. You, had done, you were doing the, the Twitter thing. Yeah. I guess you weren't depressed, but we it was a heavy talk, and it resonated forever. Yeah, well, I didn't have a nickel, you know. I mean, Is that I what was, it was? Oh, yeah, I was sharing a car with my wife and you know she was teaching she was the breadwinner yeah um oh yeah, at yeah, yeah. culver city middle school right as an english yeah. teacher yeah and uh you know i'm taking the bus yeah, or yeah. her car to go do stand-up right making less than unemployment you know the things where During like ucb oh certainly that was like uh, it wasn't like you weren't it, you weren't doing the big clubs no no we were just yeah. doing that was when alternative <laughs> comedy was a thing yeah but yeah. it, it, it didn't go anywhere. It's all gone now. Oh, God. All of it. All the bringer shows. Everything's oh, gone. Lord. I think. I don't know. I am old. Yeah, and I have yeah. no idea what people are doing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, well, that's interesting. You know, and then because now that I, like, I had even had two kids before anybody right. really knew who I was yeah. because of catastrophe. Yeah. And, um, which is great. I mean, how great to only have people learn who you are after you've been sober for some time. Yeah. So you don't go bananas. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, like I just bought some plane tickets to yeah. go home to Boston and, how uh, often do you go? I've been going a lot lately. Who's um, there still? Everybody. You but, folks are still alive? Uh, my dad is dying. Mm. He's got leukemia yeah. and is is on his way out. So I've been there a lot lately. Yeah. Um, and we've been having a really good time. Yeah. I, um, you know, I think about death, talk about death, and lately witness it a lot lately. But uh, with my dad, it's sort of different because he... The amount of quality time that we have spent yeah. together lately has been amazing. He was a huge part of my son Henry's life. He became uh, proficient in uh, and certified in taking care of a little tiny kid, you know, one and then two, um, with a complex tracheostomy. Mm. So he could do emergency care and airway maintenance. Was for, he here? Yeah. He so came he, came, here? he came here a lot. He was the only one of of the four grandparents who uh, was retired. So they were all amazing and came when they could, but sure. my dad would come for months. And got certified as a caregiver yeah, yeah. for uh, a, a child yeah. with cancer. Yeah, and so he was so great. So I don't want him to die because yeah. I love him and I yeah. love spending time with him, but God 
damn it, his final innings were glorious. And I'm so proud of him and so grateful for him. So he, I'm going to go there and get in bed with him and hug him and put my head on his chest. And it's weird, you know, because I've had a son die. Yeah. I don't want, as I said, I don't want my dad to die, but I'll pull through, you know what I mean? And, and I've just been able to focus on loving him. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, well, I, well, the title of the book uh, you know, heart that works. I, yeah. I you know, is a, it, it, it seems like a, a fine metaphor for a life that you yeah. know, eventually lands well, let in us, the right place. Let us also, Mark Marin, yeah. uh, acknowledge that uh, that's from a lyric by Juliana Hatfield um, from Boston. And uh, yeah, the full lyric being a heart that hurts is a heart that works. And the second I heard that on WFNX in Boston, I was like, oh, look, my life mantra has arrived. So that was always part of this, the the rotation of songs in your head since yeah, you were a kid? For sure. Really? Yeah. Not, not to, I mean, I don't, I wonder how old I was. I should look up how old I was when that came out. Yeah. Uh, I probably had pubic hair. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just like, I, I mean, I was trying to kind of wrap my brain around the trajectory because I guess when I first talked to you, how, I mean, how sober were you really? If it was 2010, then I had been sober for eight years. Yeah. And now it's 20. And and you also had, you know, problems with, you know, darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? That you oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Serious depression. Because, you know, I, I don't have a medical degree. degree. I'll never get one. But, uh, you know, I think I was one of those self-medicators. And after my fairly uh, climactic getting sober, which, you know, I drove a car into yeah, a building and sure. then was in jail... Um, so I, I, I was quite busy in early sobriety between surgeries, court dates, rehab. Yeah. And so I had a lot to do. Yeah. And, uh, as soon as the smoke started to clear and I remained sober for a, a calendar and year. And your wife stuck with you through like she wasn't... We hadn't met yet. Oh, okay. We good. hadn't met. We All met. Right. I got sober in 2002. We met in 2004. The new guy. She met the new guy. <laughs> Big time. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so, um, I... My brain was like, wait a minute. All right. Now that your arms have been surgically knit, now yeah. that you're employable just about, yeah. um, you're going to start getting loaded again, right? right? And I was like, no, I'm not. And yeah. uh, my brain was like, oh, well, then fuck off. Yeah. It just absolutely stopped working. Yeah. So real serious depression, you know, with physical components, you know, thrumming pain, diarrhea, really? vomiting. I mean, like awful just from the mental thing yeah huh. it was really bad and so uh but talk therapy and antidepressants worked for me thank god yeah and do you can do you continue both of those i do yeah i think maybe one day when my kids are adults yeah. i might you know see about maybe reducing it but i don't want i'm in no rush you no, know I what mean, i mean i mean if it works it works yeah. right yeah so because like you know i kind of lost track of you know of you but i mean i just know there was a point where you know you were here yeah yeah and and you were had a hit show (laughs) and uh and you were just gone you were you were not in america anymore and you were a phenomenon in britain (laughs) yeah and uh and i was like well good for him yeah crazy right yeah but i mean that show was huge we were really lucky you know catastrophe yeah we were so lucky we because i think um, we wrote that pilot yeah. and neither of us How were, did you know her? 
I met her on Twitter or probably around 2010. Wow. And uh, I had seen a show of Sharon's called Pulling, which I thought was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. And um, so I wrote her and said, hey, crazy about your show. And she's like, oh, cool. And uh, but then we became friends. And, uh, you know, then a couple years later, we thought, hey, let's write a pilot together. We did. And we weren't spring chickens. We weren't trying to... Uh, you know, it wasn't pilot season, so yeah. we weren't like, we need to get out this year's idea. Yeah. We were just like, let's write from our hearts. And so we wrote kind of a wild, bare bones, domestic, you yeah. know, yeah. high octane, tight little thing. And it cost nothing to make. So I don't think it was like a big risk, you yeah. know. And then yeah. people were like, wow, I guess this, this is all right, you yeah. know. This is and, great. And it's cheap. Yeah. So, <laughs> like I tell people in America how much an episode of Catastrophe costs to make, and they're like, you're kidding, yeah, right? Right. Because there's no special effects, you know? Sure. And there's like, I, I mean, I talked to Armando Iannucci yesterday. Yeah. And he, I think just the nature of production here yeah. is so much different in terms of how many people are involved, the mm-hmm. infrastructure of the business here. Yeah. I mean, I think everything's different here. And this yeah. sort of, you know, like it seems that three or four seasons is enough to a British yeah. people. Well, you know, we Sharon and I wrote every episode. Yeah. And we, you know, I had a child die and but wait was that but that was during the show it was in between the third and fourth season so yeah i didn't know that i would make a fourth but he was sick during almost all three during three so we make one and two yeah uh back to back right after moving here and then um then he gets sick and he was born here Henry? yeah he was he was and the other two were born in the States? yeah the first two were born in the u.s how old are they now 11 and 9 and then, and then you have another one too yeah right? who's four and who's he was four? also born here so he's i got four. two who were born at ucla santa monica and then two who were born here in london and and, um, and they would be british citizens yeah no not quite here's a fun thing america i mean i know we love to lambaste it as yeah. as xenophobia headquarters but in fact if you're born in america it doesn't matter what you get an american passport you're born here they're like yeah. oh we don't care yeah. so even my son who was born here they're like yeah you're american buddy and he has to go through all the hoops really which we're going through we're almost the citizens for what for british get, citizenship yeah, yeah. so there's not going to be a dual citizenship yeah we would be dual citizens and yeah. that, it's taken this long to do that or it's is it that long a process you it just is it takes a while you know um huh. yeah you know, i mean did they, can't you just say i had a tv show well in fact yes when we we were very lucky and we won baftas for comedy writing yeah. for catastrophe then that kicked my visa up to like what they call an exceptional talent visa really which can last longer yeah. than a your shitty cobbled together six month visas because you sure. came over to do stand up right so so Honestly, when we got the BAFTA, I was like, hey, BAFTA's cool, but I also got a big fat visa. And that was like <laughs> awesome because yeah. then I didn't have to go to the home office in Croydon yeah. uh, every six months with a bunch of children and yeah. spend the day with bureaucrats. So are you happier here? No, we tried to leave. In fact, <laughs> I no. don't get me wrong. I love it here. Yeah. But it wasn't like, you know, I just, just feel more comfortable here. This is yeah. more, more suited to the United Kingdom. Yeah. No, um, we wanted after two series of catastrophe. My wife was like, hey, what do you say we move back to Santa Monica where we can walk from our front door literally into the ocean, turn around, face the shore and look at the Santa Monica Mountains. Wouldn't that be nice? They're and on like, fire now. Yeah. So. And, and it, it was like, I know. Right. But at the time they were merely smoldering. Yeah. And um, and I was like, yeah, so we were going to move back. And then the second 
we made that decision, uh, Henry got diagnosed with a brain tumor. So, so we couldn't leave. So, of course, we'll go back through this if you want. But the basic timeline is in between two and three, yeah. seasons two and three of Catastrophe, we, we went to move back. Henry got diagnosed. And then we couldn't go anywhere because um, he began care. You're not yeah. going to fly a kid yeah. who's just had his brainstem opened up. Um, so time passes. We get used to getting care here. Our older boys' school is wonderful to them, and the people we barely know, many of them are taking great care of us. Yeah. The NHS here was amazing. So then he's sick for um, 21 months, and uh, then he dies. And when he died, we, of course, were, then we were really immobile. You know, we couldn't do anything. Yeah. And time continued to pass, even though we were grieving. So by this time, years have passed, and our older boys, who we love just as much as Henry, mm. uh, don't want to move. And we're like- They're well, dug in. Yeah, yeah. They're like, well, that makes sense. So- we, I guess that's what's really what it's about, ultimately. If yeah. you can, you know, honor the kids- Yeah. Then you do it. Yeah, well, so there's, there's you know, six of us. One of them has departed this realm. Yeah. But we try to make decisions as a, you know, I guess maybe I was going to say a democracy, but I guess my wife and I are the senators. Yeah. So our votes do count for a little bit more, but we very seriously consider what the kids have to say. So we do try to think of it as what's best for the six people as a whole. It, so it took you, I mean, you know, I... The process of grief and the process of, of 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 sort of reckoning with your own feelings. I mean, it took you a while to embark on a memoir around this stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you're considering the book, I mean, what is your what is your reason? Okay. So <laughs> at first, this is something you've answered many times. No, no. Oh. At first, um, I wanted to write something very angry and even hateful and i wanted Towards who? the world who people who haven't experienced terrible grief people who aren't roiling in pain so you felt you, you felt that people did not know how to handle it on on any level and, right. and that even you know loved ones friends regular mm-hmm. and passing yes. so so the 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 i guess the initial feelings of of anger that yeah. that cannot be explained yeah you know having dealt with a, a bit of tragedy myself that yeah. you know i realized relatively quickly i was not in the same position you were but but you know somebody you know i love died quickly yeah and it was tragic and it was yeah. unnecessary. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even the word unnecessary is ridiculous word. Mm-hmm. Because from my experience, it, you, I realized it, just in order to keep my sanity that, you know, sadly, this isn't unusual. It's right. not unusual. You just don't want it to happen to you. Right. Yeah. So like the, the initial anger at God yeah. or the injustice or yeah. why, like, let's instead of talk about the, incent, in the, the, the inception of the book, I mean, when he was diagnosed, yeah. what was... What was your, what was the feeling? Was, was the first feeling like, well, we're going to fix it. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to do everything we can to fix it. Yeah. So we had some weeks where we couldn't figure out what it was because when you're, you've just turned one and you can't talk, nobody immediately thinks brain tumor, you know? Um, The thing that. So terrible. I'm so sorry you had to go through this. Well, thank you. Um, The thing they, the thing that like made 
a, an older doctor. And I think this is important because we knew a lot of, we were meeting wonderful young doctors and yeah. nurses, but I think this guy had just been around the block mm-hmm. and he said to me, he goes, so he's vomiting a lot. And I said, yeah, which is clear, you know, it was terrifying because he's a baby yeah. who's supposed to be chunking up yeah. and he's losing weight yeah. and, and disappearing. So that was awful. I used to want to collect his vomit and then pour it in a funnel back down. I mean, yeah. I his vomit was like more precious than gold to yeah. me and I, I would cry. And so a doctor says to me, you know, I don't know how many doctors we'd have seen at this point. He goes, let me ask you something. When he vomits, um, does he retch? You know, does he seem in distress yeah. or is it effortless? And I was like, it's effortless. It yeah. just comes up and out. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no retching or, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, heaving yeah. or anything. Right. And he goes, okay, then we need to do an MRI of his head. And I was like, what? Why? Yeah. And the reason being is that effortless vomiting can be uh, a symptom of a brain tumor because what happens is the pressure in your head just presses on the emetic center, the vomit button. Yeah. So you just bloop and yeah. just up and out with the contents oh, of your stomach. Jesus. So, uh, so when he said that, I was like, that's what it's going to fucking be, isn't it? And, um, and it was. And so... How old are your other kids at this time? Three and five. And you're working your ass off. Uh, luckily, I'm just in between two and three. So I do have a little breathing room. Um, but all in all, like leading up to this, you know... Oh, you, you, then I'd been working like a madman. And, yeah. and you were feeling, you know, I mean... Because I know that, you know, as an alcoholic person, mm-hmm. you know, that you're going to yeah. find something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it seems like, I mean, was your wife working? No. So it was very difficult because we moved here with a three and a one-year-old. She's yeah. pregnant with Henry when we arrive. Mm. She takes a leave of absence from Culver City Middle School. Yeah. And we don't know anybody. So she's lonely. I'm working around the clock. And I'm being a bad husband. I'm really working crazy hours i think anybody could like look at what i was doing and how i was doing it and be like i get it you know i thought like this is my shot this mm-hmm. is my opportunity to sure. swing yeah. for the fences yeah and so i thought i had to do everything and that i don't know that that's ever true that you have to do everything you know you I, what i did was after the second series um my wife said to me um, so listen, uh, I'm pretty miserable, uh, with the amount that you're working yeah. and the dire lack of attention you're giving to me and the kids. Yeah. So I've been looking into how to divorce you while in a foreign country. <laughs> uh, it's not going to be easy, but I think I figured out how to do it. Unless that is, you want to change how you work and the amount that you work, and then maybe we can work things out. Yeah. And that stopped me in my tracks. I wasn't like... I hope she said it in that tone. Yeah, right. Very calmly. <laughs> and um, and so that immediately, uh, my response really was, okay, I will make those changes. Yeah. I do love you. I mm. do love these kids. Um, at risk of losing this show, I will do those things. And uh, it wasn't easy. I mean, I felt like I was on fire, you know. Were you I, mad? 
there was anger, not really at her, because if you look at, I mean, look, I'll show you a picture of her. She's yeah. beautiful. She's got three beautiful children that yeah. look like her, mostly, yeah. slightly me, but not really. Yeah. And so she, it's a vision. You yeah. know, I look at her, it's the ha- it, like, there's nothing more beautiful to me than those people. And so I want them to be happy. I want yeah. them to feel good. Yes, I also want people to be clapping for me and saying, what a magnificent show you've made. And you want to make money, too. And I want to make money. Um, but I realize, what do I want more? I want them to know peace yeah. for a few minutes of each day, if yeah. possible. Yeah. And uh, so so I decided to to try to learn how to work smarter and not harder and uh i realized yeah because i realized what do i care about in a tv show sure i'll tell you what i care about i care about that each script lands with a thump on the table right is airtight and that when you read it you have a full mature nourishing entertainment experience and you were writing it so yeah and you can picture it all and you hope it gets made because you think it'll but if you if it doesn't you had a good experience reading it that's what i care about Uh do i care what the characters are wearing no no i don't really no do i care about the locations they're shooting in no i really don't can i be funny in that location then i don't care right so what I did was I dropped all the other stuff and was like, oh, why don't why don't I let our amazing heads of department do their jobs? So you surrendered the control freak Exactly. Right. I, beca- I remained despotic, as did Sharon, about the scripts. Right. You know, beyond that, have a blast, okay. DOP, with well, your lens good... selection. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. I'm a, I don't, you know, so. That's a good uh, lesson to learn. So that was amazing. Yeah. And that freed up a lot of time. Yeah, and... it's a, to, to be able to do that, to be able to, what's the word that I always forget is delegate, delegate? Yeah. yeah it's a it's a gift <laughs> alcoholic forgetting the word delegate i love it yeah <laughs> it's it's one yeah. of those words that sticks yeah. with me every time yeah. where i'm like hey, is it sub to, yeah. it? but all right so so now this is where you're at before henry gets it. right these are decisions no we- joke it isn't even certainly not a month it might not have even been weeks from that conversation with my wife where i'm like it's overhaul time do it, embark on the barest beginnings of that right and then henry is diagnosed so he gets a, he gets a scan yeah and is there any hope yes um because okay i mean honestly now you look at it and you're like i don't know like right. any any you know doctor would be like wow the tumor is called an ependymoma and he was so young and a boy, which are the worst. If you're young, really young and male, the pendomoma. Mm. Uh, they don't get me wrong. They kill little girls too, but they kill more little boys. And um, so he was like in the worst cohort to get it. Um, but it was possible that they could take it all out and he'd be disabled. And But it was possible that it mm. wouldn't come back, uh, but it did. And, they uh, took it out? Yeah, they took it out. They did a good job. Uh, the surgery was brutal because they had to damage his brainstem. They had to damage and even destroy some cranial nerves to get it out, meaning, you know, so his half his face was immediately paralyzed. He His ability to swallow was gone, so he had to get a tracheostomy. Um, and, and that would have been life. It would have been, he would not, had he lived. Oh, uh, as you get... As your body just increases in size, they can give you less horrific tracheostomy tubes, ones where you could even put a speech valve on it. Um, And it was possible that he might have regained. There are people who've had his cancer, had a tracheostomy, and then gotten older 
and had the tracheostomy removed. It, it, so that could have happened. But it's it interesting, didn't. you you know. It seems like I don't have children, and it's mm-hmm. probably you know I, I don't, it doesn't. I don't know why, but I do know why. But because mm-hmm. I can't even handle hearing about this, <laughs> the panic and the worry and the pain that yeah. that you know whatever your love for that kid is at that time, you, you're willing to accommodate the idea that he's going to live this horrendously compromised life, yeah, and still believe that that life is worth fighting for. Oh, big time! Oh no! So you know what's funny is um, my wife and I met. Back in 2004 at a camp in Massachusetts for uh, people with disabilities called Camp Jabberwocky. Uh And so we met taking care of disabled adolescents through adults with major disabilities and problems. And, you know, so we're doing feeding tubes and wiping butts and, you know, lifting, you know, uh, paralyzed adults and all sorts of stuff. Um, And so, so... We had a bunch of friends who were quite disabled already um, and so and had been around people like that and loved people like that. So, so this is you met her before you went to Hollywood and then that came back around. No, I left Los Angeles just for a summer there. So this camp, after you got sober. Yeah, I met a guy. Um, a sober guy, yeah. uh, and he said to me, hey, I, you know, I'm doing this camp yeah. in Venice, um, California, that is, uh, for people with disabilities. Uh, it's sort of a satellite of a camp I've worked at for years in Massachusetts. Do yeah. you want to come work at it, you know, volunteer at it? And I was like, yeah, I would love to. So I did that. I had the best time ever. So this is like service. Yeah, I guess, you know. And uh, but it's fun. That's the secret. That's the dirty secret of volunteering. Is it's usually fun as hell. Yeah. So people who enjoy things like drugs or gambling, yeah. or watching Succession, yeah. would probably also, if they got off their ass, enjoy volunteering too. That's the secret. Uh-huh. Um, and so, so then I went back to the one in Massachusetts uh, for just for a couple weeks, you yeah. know, because uh, I had some time off. And so I went and um, it happened to meet my wife at that time. So although I grew up in Massachusetts, I wasn't living there when I met my wife. I was just visiting to volunteer at this camp. And where was she from? She was in the process. She's from uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And she was in the process at the time where she had been teaching in Mississippi. And she was in the process of moving to D.C. Uh So she was homeless for a few weeks as she uh, moved. And so she did this camp. So we were just both in transient periods, met each other and fell in love. But here's the thing. It's almost like you you start taking care of your child who's disabled and um, no, it's not easy. Yes, your house becomes like a satellite hospital um, but how do you, how triage. Do you, isn't there a, a sort of persistent heartbreak? Of course there's difficult. To, but you know what, to be honest, is, is Henry died before he turned three, right? Right. So Henry died before he was cognizant of the fact that he was different right, and that sure. there were things that he couldn't do right, or right. couldn't do as well. Yeah. So Henry was like, hey, what's up, man? I'm Henry. Yeah, Let's yeah. party. Yeah, you know? he so, didn't have, yeah. And also, like, I don't know, like, because I'm, you know, selfish and I don't have children, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm speculating. Yeah. And, and, and it seems like, you know... It, in my mind, if we continue how I'm thinking about it, mm-hmm. that'd be like, well, we should just let him die. Huh? You, you know what I mean? Well, here's the thing is like one thing that I realized from doing this camp is that uh, 
after you spend a bunch of time, like we're like a bunch of like sleep cycles, wake yeah, up, go to sleep sure. and people with people who are quote disabled and right. people who are quote not, the line really begins to blur. Mm. So like if you're literally like, you know, in a camp situation yeah. with people, then like, you know, like whatever, like, you know, evening will roll around and you'll yeah. be thinking like, oh, I'd really rather hang out with Nancy right now, who's quite disabled, you know, right. speaks using a board where she points at words sure. than I would with Dave, right. who's another counselor, fully able body. Bodied, yeah. but a bit of a weird asshole yeah so you find yourself like you realize like <laughs> yeah, you kind of yeah. forget who's disabled and who isn't the spirit starts to or you not starts to shine through yeah but you get to where yeah. you can see it faster in well, people yeah so yeah. so like you look you can have fun and laugh sure, and sure. have yeah. a robust emotional experience with somebody with down syndrome just like you can with of somebody course. who doesn't of course yeah yeah i i have no doubt about that it, it's just like the spectrum of it's is that the spectrum of your life, you personally was you were already you know somewhat you know open hearted to to uh, at least well, the human experience on it. That's yeah, difficult. getting sober certainly helped a lot. Yeah. Um, so after the first surgery, mm -hmm. what was the hope uh, that the cancer would not return? Right. And that over a lot of time, he would begin to work through and heal from, if sure. possible, damage to his brainstem. And um, so, yeah, we just hoped cancer wouldn't return and that he would outgrow or heal from right. or repair yeah. stuff that so he could get rid of the tracheostomy. And how are the other kids handling it? Are they old enough to register? They, oh yeah, they're over they're in the hospital all the time. Yeah. I mean, root I mean, we have hundreds of pictures of the three of them yeah. in the hospital yeah. bed, yeah. you know, have eaten McDonald's. So you had the other kid while he was still sick? No, no. Um, our youngest came after. Right, right. Okay, My wife so was pregnant when Henry died with our fourth. So, so that <laughs> little fella did not get to meet Henry in the traditional sense, you know. Although he shared a womb with him, and then now, and then so, he was in Henry's bedroom. It became his room. Now, in terms of healthcare, you had a, a, a great experience here. Yeah, we really did, um, and. You know, I think it's an important distinction to make, you know, because I love to criticize not American health care, yeah. but American private health insurance. Obviously, right. there's amazing nurses and doctors in the United States and you can get great care. There's no question about that. But the question is, you know, can you access it? And in accessing it, are you going to go bankrupt or insane, yeah. you know, right. more likely yeah. from trying to navigate all the labyrinths right. of... Uh, of private health insurance. So, so what ha so the big benefit for us is that we had more time with our son. I, I spent no time in the hallway on the phone with the insurance company saying we need, he needs this MRI. Right. Right. Please approve it. Yeah. You know, or I didn't spend time arguing with a pharmacist because they understandably couldn't understand the crazy, new terms of the pharmacy plan that we right, were on, right. and, you know, so they're not asking me for $615 for a prescription that he needs to live, you know? Yeah. So, so the amount of, so we had less stress than an American would, uh, in dealing with this. Uh, so we had more time and didn't get a perforated ulcer mm. from stress. So yeah, really beautiful. And when do you start to realize I'm assuming that you know, given what we talked about earlier in terms of the you know what drove you to to write the book in in after the fact that 
when do you start to feel alone in your dealing with the tragedy in terms of, I mean, I, obviously the family was close and I assume that, you, mm-hmm. you know, your, your family, but when do you start to realize that people have no real emotional sense of how to deal with it or you? Um, well, it's, I must say, it's not everybody, sure. um, as, as you may have experienced yourself, that yeah. y- you can be surprised totally by certain surprised. people who step up beautifully, totally. and then other people who you think would have been there fuck off and do a terrible job. Well, I, I guess I assume nobody would. I mean, uh, I, I, I didn't yeah. really know, you know, my, my parents are not emotionally capable yeah. people, so they were not great. Yeah. And also, like, you know, it happened so quickly, yeah. but in terms of our community, mm-hmm. the, the comedians, mm-hmm. I mean, it was kind of stunning. That's wonderful. That's so great. Um, and it was the middle of COVID, so it, be, you know, it was so it was kind of limited in and of yeah. itself. Like you, you, you know, so you you kind of take what you could get. Yeah. But some people, I mean, it was really amazing. So, what was yeah. your experience? Um, so, a lot of people were wonderful. Yeah. A lot of people surprised us in beautiful ways. Plus, we're in a country where we do not have roots. You yeah. know. And uh, so, so a lot of people are great, but then some people are afraid of you. You know, if you lose a child, I think, you know, as they say, uh, uh, losing a child is, is people who have children's greatest fear. And so I think people were afraid of us. That's my guess. That's my stab at it is that they were afraid of us, that they might catch dead kid from us, or they'd have to imagine you know, right. I think that's probably more it, the mortality of their own life or own children. Yeah. That the, I, I, I've been trying to talk about grief for a a while with people, you you know, and, and and again, you you know, I don't want to, you know, compare griefs or whatever, but you know, the feeling is the feeling that, that loss. Yeah. And it is so human. Yeah. Unavoidable. Unavoidable. Uh, but but I understand what you're saying because I was thinking back on I know a guy who lost a kid in a car accident and we mm-hmm. weren't close or anything but there's that feeling of like what do you even say yeah 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 and yeah. I guess that is selfish because what I learned in talking about this stuff on stage is that sometimes all you got to do is stand there exactly <laughs> the question I think isn't what 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 do I say it's better is what do I do right because you're you know Mark Marin multiple stand up specials yeah. you know you're good at talking. But nobody is so good at talking that they can heal the pain of of death. I think right? I think that is what that that is the 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 crux of it. Yeah, is that there's there's no getting away from it. No. So if you sit there with yeah. me, you know, like it, you know, it would be nice. You know, like I'm just imagining, like you're on a couch that would fit two adult yeah. bums. So if I'm sitting on that couch in acute grief after Henry died. And you came over and you sat down right next to me. And so there's extra space to the right of you. And I'm in between. And you just sat there and put your arm around That's me. It. That'd be fucking amazing. Right. And that'd be better than you giving me some advice. Sure. You know what or, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you know, I had a friend who yeah. lost oh, a great. kid. Great. Okay. Um, all right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so there's another sad guy out there. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because like that—that's—that that is the thing is that like in order to sort of bear witness or or to 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 show up for somebody in that much pain, you know, if you're on un- if you're uncomfortable, yeah. or, or even if you're you're shut down emotionally, yeah, that none of that matters yeah. in a way. Yeah, if you just you know share the space, 
You know what it's like is like if you ever jo- jump off something yeah. high yeah. into the water. That's yeah. fun to do. Right. Right. But it's scary. Sure. Okay. But you don't really have to do anything. You just kind of have to lean forward. That's right. And then in a couple seconds, you'll be in the water. It's kind of like that comforting a grieve, grieving person. Sure. You just kind of wait till they just, get done with their crying jack yeah. and <laughs> pat them on the back. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and it doesn't take long. Yeah. And it helps tremendously, you know, a couple seconds of, of touch or yeah. silence is the same thing as like falling into some lovely water for right. them. It, it helps. So like most of this, I would imagine. So, you know, when he did pass, yeah, it was that, how long did you know that was going to happen? Uh, we learned in September of 2017 that his cancer had returned yeah. and would kill him. And then he died in January um, on, on my birthday. On Come my forty first birthday, Come he on. died. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. Which is so wild, you know. So you're just waiting, in a way. Yeah, and, and trying to maintain some quality of life. Yeah, and and the quality of life is sky high at that point because although the tumor is growing, he's not showing any symptoms. So we really felt insane because we know he's got a time bomb yeah. in his head, yeah, and it will kill him yeah. as sure as you're born and uh and and what were the conversations that you were having with your wife or with the other kids i mean like because it seems like you know knowing that you don't know when it's going to happen and you have a certain amount of time how did you emotionally prepare for what was coming well um you can't prepare right (laughs) i remember thinking (laughs) but you can know here's some some things i did um so i i i thought so i'll be i'll be damaged by this i'll bear scars from this but how can I protect Henry's brothers? Yeah. And because I was worried it would fuck them up irreparably for life. And I called a couple friends from Boston um, that I loved dearly and that I grew up with. Yeah. One of them, his dad died when he was one. Mm. And then his mom remarried a wonderful guy yeah. who raised him to the age of six. And then he died. So he he had his two dads die. So you're thinking about bringing in another father? Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> can I marry your mother to heal? Is the right thing for me to do to, to maybe even try to have a baby with my best... No, <laughs> so, um, but I called him because he, he's a wonderful, sensitive guy. And I wanted to know some a child who was struck by very severe tragedy. Um, how do I take care of my boys who yeah. are about to get walloped? And... Um, so I called him mm-hmm. and I called another friend that I yeah. grew up with whose brother had died when he was a child. Ah. And I said, what do I do to take care of yeah. my boys to both of, of yeah. these guys? And they were like, listen, these things aren't going to define your sons forever. And they were both like, you might fuck up your kids and they might get fucked up, but it won't be this. Right. You know, they're like... Because both of them were like, you send me pictures of the three of them in Henry's hospital bed. You take Henry with all his beeping machines and tubes to the yeah. park. You were constantly holding and touching and loving. So he, t- so he reassured me. They both reassured me that my wife and I were both doing exactly what we should. Yeah. You know? And also, like, you, you know, one thing I know just from talking to people and seeing it that that children will become their own people and they're they're incredibly resilient and and part of the emotional language they'll learn will process this and i think ultimately with the amount of love that you're going to give them you you know this will only make them deeper in a sense 
Yeah, they're incredibly emotionally astute. You know, there's no guarantee of, of a shiny, bright future for sure, so, anybody, but it won't be this. Right. So I don't have to fear. Well, that's, yeah, that's something. Right. And, and that was really beautiful. And so, like, leading up to this, so the the, the family um, intention was just to make the, the however long he was going to be around as fun or as pleasant exactly. as possible. Exactly. Uh-huh. And you know, my wife and I even sat down and wrote out like what do we want to do and, mm. and we asked the boys like what's important for you to do with henry before he dies and um hmm. and because they were they knew we told them you know they were with us uh they were in the next room when we found out that his cancer had come back and mm. we came out crying and uh, so oddly i guess but naturally the grieving come, starts then in a way i suppose so you know it's sort of weird like you know i might have a little more experience with with grief than some yeah but i i don't know is that grief sure i'll, I'll accept no, I, that i mean it, it's it's the knowing <laughs> pre-grief I, but but it's also like you know we all know we're gonna die but we're able to really keep it at bay exactly you yeah. know it's 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 really pr- the one of the driving forces of our lives as yeah. as as sort of selfish weird irrational people yeah. is the avoidance of that knowledge yeah. i mean there's very few people that i think have that integrated and and there's very few people I think that can you know handle that integration because mm. it could go either way. You could sit around and be like, oh, it's the fucking point. You know, yeah. I don't want to live, or it's yeah. gonna, what a rip off. You know, how do you start to calibrate why life is worth living? And I guess if you have kids, you know that certainly is one way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I guess I'm just trying to say that it's difficult for me. I have no children and I'm depressed a lot. Uh, <laughs> no, no I'm kidding. but okay. No, but you know what? I'm looking behind you on the wall. Mm. Is this like tapestry type thing? Yeah. And I think about. The, the grief that I feel and let's say that's like, a, I don't know, fucking bolt of fabric or sure. thring of yarn yeah. or whatever. And now that has been, I'm weaving, I'm doing the best to weave that into my tapestry, not to try to burn it or throw it off a bridge, but sure. But I've been given this and fuck off for a thousand years. If you think I'm not going to weave the death and the life and the spirit of my beautiful son into my tapestry. I mean, what am I, Joni Mitchell at this point? But yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, well, well, I, th- I don't think I, I don't think you have a choice. Yeah, in in the sense that you know, especially if you're a sensitive person, that you know, and I think it seems that one of the mm-hmm. in, in, one of the reasons, yeah, why you wrote the book was was to 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 sort of you know to mm-hmm. kind of you know say this is what it is. Yeah. And and that you know this is part of life, and this and I am angry that so many people you know mm-hmm. make me feel uncomfortable yeah. because of their discomfort, and that you know that a grown person with a heart that works mm-hmm. is going to you know understand that this is life. Yeah. There's no, there's no, it's guaranteed. You're born and you're gonna die, yeah. and I've had to shoulder this and feel this, and it's going to inform every other part of your life. Yeah, I mean that's that's the proper way to integrate yeah and and i guess you know the the fuck you of it is it's like you know your ability now to say oh it's coming oh yeah (laughs) you know hopefully not for your loved ones but it's gonna come for you i know i know it is i know well so how what did how did it change your perception in you know once you got like i imagine the exorcism in writing this book of of sort of outside of what we just said in terms of comforting somebody with grief what are the other issues that you find that you, with other people in terms of how they handled grief that you have a problem with? Um, well, I guess it's just a uh, very painful gift to receive, yeah. but 
but my family received some gifts of of profound reality yeah and it allowed us to you know appreciate how ephemeral even our bodies are right you know yeah and so i guess i also lament i'm not just frustrated with people who can't hold the grief or feel that they have to babble i'm not just frustrated with that but i in in some ways i i i feel blessed and burdened with knowledge that they don't yet have about how precious all this stuff is. Oh, yeah. So you'll hear them complain about the most pedestrian stuff, and you're like, come on, man. Yeah. But you can't really do that, you know, because I'm not, I'm not cruel. Right. I don't want to, you know, drop a bomb in the middle of their day. You, you, like at every sort of, uh, you know, kind of a passing social interaction, just say like, yeah, my kid died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, interesting. Oh, uh, what was that? Oh, sorry. I was looking over your shoulder at the fucking urn that my son is in on the shelf behind your shoulder. So tell you me about your bad ingrate. breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but but it's all it's all it's all part of the the spectrum. So you have yeah. to you have to integrate that spite. Yeah, and, and, I guess, and not feel guilty that I feel it. You know yeah, what I mean? If, right, I, if right, my right. wife and I laugh about some ridiculous thing that somebody yeah. said to one of us, yeah. then we're happy and we enjoy the rest of our day. And we don't hold on to it hating them. I don't sure. wish these people ill. No, of course it's not. It's just and, like... I mean, and you have to have sort of... There must be some sort of empathy because the other side of seeing it as... Like, it, it's not a gift, but but processing it correctly is. Yeah. And and it's not something you would wish on anybody. No, 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 God, no. So so you know you have to sort of accept the fact. Of course, people don't know yeah, how the fuck to behave. They didn't. Yeah, they haven't been granted access. They haven't been given the code to access that. <laughs> yeah, thank God. But <laughs> but but the, but the bigger message yeah. is uh, that you know someone grieving is almost everybody. Yeah. So you know to somehow integrate that into yeah. how you approach somebody. Uh, would be a, a beautiful, empathetic thing to do collectively. Yeah. Right? I know. I'm imagining, because people have the urge to be like, you know, oh, my son has a tumor. Oh, yeah. oh really? Oh, my grandfather had a tumor. <laughs> it would be a better empathy would be like, oh, my God, your son died. Yeah. I'm going to die too. And so are you. Like, that, that'd be great. Wouldn't that be great? What the grandfather thing doesn't yeah. work for you? No. Yeah. But when, if somebody was like, oh, your son died, and like, instead of trying to compare, oh, if they right, were like, right, oh, right. I'm going to die, pain. right? I'll probably be dead in 30 years. Maybe I wonder if we'll all be in the same cemetery. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, then, that, then I'm like, yeah, man, maybe. But, that, but that's also <laughs> utterly, uh, like, you know, selfish, right? So, like, but it, I, I think the, la the I, I think that the real thing that's lacking is, it seems empathy around it. Yeah. That, that like, because, like, f for whatever it's worth, you know, years of talking to people candidly about whatever, mm -hmm. and then, you know, having somebody, you know, I loved, you know, basically, you know, die in my house has, has opened my heart to, like, I can't, like, along with my grief, which, mm -hmm. which I can tap into, yeah. but, but is integrated, that the empathy for it, like, I can feel an almost immediate, yeah, uh, uh, emotional yeah. reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To someone's loss. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't know that I could yeah. before. Yeah, like I'm having a tough time. You're gonna know who. You're gonna be like, we need, we really need to get him an omelet. You know what I mean? We don't need to tell him it's gonna be okay, but we, let's get him an omelet. Well, Come I mean, on, man. My, my, the thing I have to fight is not to just start crying if somebody in front of someone who's yeah. experiencing the same thing. Yeah, you know, just sort of like yeah. just sort of like hijack yeah. their grief with sort of. <laughs> But you don't want to commiserate. You want to show up for somebody, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. 
It's tricky, right? Well, I'm doing that, you know, with, I have been doing that with my dad because yeah. my dad was there um, when Henry was dying and after he died and now my dad is dying and oh, I, I'm God. always tempted to talk about, oh yeah, I remember, you know, like when the hospice people delivered my dad's morphine, you know, I was like, yeah. oh, your morphine's blue. Yeah, Henry's was red. Yeah. You know, I want to be like, just let him have his death. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah. So I sometimes will, I'll be like, uh, and then I'll be like, you know what? Yeah. Let's just let this guy die for the moment. You well, know? There, I think you seem to have uh, somehow uh, achieved the the um, the kind of emotional level of of a sort of a a death doula in a way. Maybe. <laughs> well, just, well, just that like you've been able to integrate and accept the reality of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah. and and process the feelings of loss. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you're prepared for it. Yeah, and preparing for it. I think about my own death. You do, and yeah, what do you think about it. Uh, I, I, you know what I try to tell myself is that it'll be fine. You know, uh, it's not, it's not my job to yeah. know what's going to happen next. Um, but it is, a lot my, of people think they know you have any, I, I, it's funny when I think of my own death, it's sort of like, why well, I've had saved some money. I should go uh, over the papers. Oh yeah. And yeah. You, I mean, you have a family, so it goes to, yeah, yeah. I don't. So I'm sort of like, oh, yeah. I, I have some gifts to give. Totally. That's awesome. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta go over the paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. What comes next? I don't know. I, I think of it like, um, I'm a glass of water. You're a glass of water. And then we die. We get poured back into the ocean of whatever oh, nice. is out there. Sure. We all mingle. So I'm yeah. not me anymore. You're not you anymore. Right. All our molecules are just part of the big frequencies. Yeah, and and which is good for me because I definitely want to be obliterated when I die. I don't want to be me anymore. Yeah, no, it'd be a relief in a way, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. But you don't want to go too far with that line of thought. Yeah, Why not, not just do it now. No, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> well, I also think, yeah, I'm I'm pretty anti-suicide because I think. It's also our responsibility, having been given this life, to ride it out. You know what I mean? Like, I, I really don't feel like I should decide when life begins or ends, you mm. know, um, yeah. other than, you know, having sex with my wife, which I know could result in a life. Sure. You know, I think I should do that. And and when, <laughs> so you conceived the, the newest kid while Henry was sick. We did, yeah. Consciously. Um, consciously, we did, yeah. Um, and what was we, the conversation around that? We ha- we wanted a bunch of kids in our house, and 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 we we'd thought about having a fourth, but we knew we were so spread so thin yeah. between between sometimes it yeah. was three hospital two hospitals and our home if he was shuttling between the hospital he lived at and the hospital where he got his chemo and three kids, so it was so we knew we couldn't do that. But when we learned he was going to die, we just decided to have another one. Not it's impossible to replace a child that can't be done but we knew that we had a certain amount of love yeah. we wanted to be divided between a bunch of unruly children and so we wanted our house to be full of of little people and yeah. so 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 yeah it's interesting too like when when you're in that much pain or you're in that much sort of um trauma uh you know emotional and mental you know i i mean you do things to feel better. Of course. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. Like there's no... Yeah, you're still allowed to have sex. <laughs> sure. And, and make more kids. Yeah. And how's the how's the new kid? He's magnificent. He's yeah. four. And so you have three boys? Yeah. Yeah, now we have three different boys yeah. alive. Yeah. Three alive boys. And you, um, It's so funny because your tone around Henry and death and like the kid died and it, like there there's... It's not... It's not a flat affect, but there there seems to be a, a sort of uh, constant reaffirmation of knowing he's dead. I 
insist on saying it a lot, mostly for myself. Yeah. Um, I, I, I repeat to myself the details of yeah. his life and, and appearance of symptoms. Yeah. I tell myself, I'll say like, I had a boy named Henry and I loved him so much and he was healthy and beautiful. And then he got sick and we didn't know what to do. And we took him to the doctors and it took a long time. They found out what it was. It was very bad. And, and they tried to fix it and they couldn't and it got worse. And then he died and now he's dead and I still love him and I still talk to him. Um, and he's still my son and I'm still his dad. And I don't know what our relationship is now. I don't know where he is. Um, but it's very important for me to repeat those things to myself. It grounds me and it makes me feel not insane. Yeah. I would imagine that, you know, on top of the, the, the act of grief, that, that, that as an affirmation yeah. of life in a way, it keeps you present. Yeah, it does. Right? It does. Absolutely. It's interesting about the, uh, you know, going over that stuff. It really helps me. But you, you know in your heart that you did everything possible. Oh, yeah. That's a great, that's a, a gift. Yeah, I mean, look, we're not, my wife and I aren't doctors or nurses, uh, but we know how to love children, and we sure did that, mm. so. Yeah, and, and, you, and you got all the best care, and it was great. Oh, yeah. You know, after the book writing and, and after the processing, is there one thing that you you do now that you didn't? Yeah. Um, I hold my children and I hold my wife yeah. and I know that they'll die. Mm. And I know that it could happen before I die. Mm. So I know that our time together is finite and it will end. Um, and so I appreciate them so much more. I marvel yeah. at the fact that these particular collections of cells coalesced around these souls mm -hmm. for a temporary period. And I'm so lucky to get to be here at the same time yeah. um, as a little collection of, of cells and whatever's and bones yeah. and nostril hairs that yeah. I am. Yeah. And, and so I really make the most of it in a way that I didn't before. And I wish that that skill didn't come from something so painful, but it did. That was the price tag for me of that gift. And, and now I have it and I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's good. It's beautiful. It is good. Yeah. And how do you, um, how do you approach work now? Um, it's, that's a fantastic question. My opinion and feelings about what I do for a living have, have sort of changed. Mm. They've become right sized, so to speak. <laughs> In As they that, say in the lingo. Yeah. Like yeah. I never, you know how I used to gravitate between I'm ashamed of what I, I'm trying to make people laugh mm. as a job and yeah. I'd think what a piece of shit I am. <laughs> or, you know, I'd get a paycheck and an award and yeah. be like, eh, probably, I probably deserve it, you yeah. know, and it'd be those two things. <laughs> and now yeah. it's gone like zoop, right between the two of those yeah. where I now know that all the accolades and stuff are beyond ridiculous. Right. But it also isn't stupid and useless it's like it's as important as like the table i'm knocking on here yeah you need a table to put your stuff on 
and you need a show or a stand-up special at the end of the day to unwind. So it's not more important than any other job in the world, and it isn't less. So now I'm like, I go to work gratefully, and I do the work, and I'm so happy that I get to do and it. And you're busy. I, I saw, yeah. I, had, I talked to Sigourney Weaver. Oh wow! About the the uh, the, the movie, good, the Good House, the Good House, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and that was kind of a dark, interesting part, but very human. Yeah, and oh, what a privilege to get to work with her, you know. So she's so amazing, of course, but then kind and sensitive and brilliant, and so getting to. But that character was sort of antithetical to where you're at now. I know. Yeah, yeah. and um, and but yeah, what a privilege, and. Um, they shot it in Nova Scotia, which actually when I was there a lot, I was having the thought like, I'd really like to die here. Yeah. It's so beautiful. I was like, yeah. I need to find, I need to figure out how to die in yeah. Nova Scotia. <laughs> so that movie was a thrill to work on. And you're doing, what What do you got? You're doing Mission Impossible or you did it? Yeah, I did a part in that. Was that um, a big part? No, it wasn't. But I did get to do a full week of working with Tom Cruise, which oh, yeah? was fascinating. Was it? It really was. Good yeah. guy? Uh, to work with, yeah. yeah. I don't know that I would want to go on a cross-country trip with him. I mean, he probably doesn't do... I don't think he does things. Like, I don't... It, I didn't get the sense he has a social life. So, yeah, working with him, amazing. Incredibly educational. It's... His movies are excellent now all the time, not haphazardly, because right. he's an unbelievable filmmaker who knows so much, and also Christopher McQuarrie wrote and directed that. Um, so working with the two of them was very educational uh, and great. Um, you got any plans of doing any creating? Yeah, doing? yeah. So so uh, I've just, uh, I'm finishing a script right now that I'll see if anybody wants to make um, that For I've written. For a TV show or a movie? Uh, probably a movie yeah i started as a tv show but i think yeah. it might actually be a better movie okay um because certain things happen in it where it couldn't have subsequent seasons so why not make it a movie sure and then uh yeah i've got i've got a show uh coming up probably in the springtime called bad monkey uh that bill lawrence made which oh, is he's just tremendous big guy did yeah. you go shoot that in the states yeah yeah i shot it in miami and the florida keys uh, and uh um, muggy it was so insanely hot and muggy that it was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, he's a he's a good guy. I haven't talked to him in a long time. He was such a pleasure to work with. Yeah, I, at first he was like, "Do you want to come shoot a show with me in Florida?" And I'm like, "Well, Bill Lawrence, why didn't you have me in your show that you're making in London?" Yeah. But uh, he's like, Which "I don't know." Ted Lasso, oh. and uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's, that's right. That's and so I was like, well, I'd love to, but I don't know. You know, Florida. I live in London. I try not to. And he was like, well, I'll, why don't I make it family friendly for you? You know, we'll we'll shoot you efficiently. We'll bake in some breaks. And I was like, well, okay, thank you so much, family man, Bill yeah. Lawrence. So yeah, I uh, is that a good part? It, oh, so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's based on the book Bad Monkey by Carl Hyacin. Yeah, he's good, uh, yeah. which was a great book, and and Bill adapted it beautifully. And had an incredible time shooting that. So I'm th that like, uh, yeah, I know I'm in it. I, you, sometimes you do stuff and you're like, yeah, maybe I'll catch that if I get the chance. This one I'm like, can't wait to see. Oh, good. Because uh, Vince Vaughn too, right? Vince Vaughn. Yep. Vince Vaughn, Michelle Monaghan, Jody Turner-Smith, Meredith Hagner, um, Zach Braff, uh, Scott Glenn. Wow. Myself. Scott Glenn's intense. I talked to that guy. Yeah. He was great. Yeah. Yeah. Good talking to you, man. Great talking to you, and great to see you. It's good to see you, buddy. That was great to talk to Rob. And again, A Heart That Works comes out tomorrow, wherever you get your books. And um, 
What a good guy. So look, uh, can you hang out for a second? Just hang out for a minute. Hey folks, this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. You know all those times you've heard guests sneeze on the show. Well, actually, you don't hear any of that because we cut the sneezes out when we're editing. But take my word for it, people definitely sneeze in here, and when they do, I've got a box of Kleenex on the table right in front of them so they can use one and get right back to business. And here's what Kleenex means to me, a tissue that will hold up. We've all used those other tissues that you blow holes right through. When I see Kleenex, I know that tissue is up for the job. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. If you've got a WTF Plus subscription, you can go back and listen to that early episode with Rob Delaney. That's episode 55. It's really a great talk with a truly harrowing story of what made him get sober. Lipsight uh, has been on a bunch of times, old Sammy. Episode 10, episode 52, episode 162 are all part of the Full Marin. And episode 984 is available in the free feed on all podcast apps. Here, listen to some. I used to sing in a rock band so i'm used to a little yeah. bit of this yeah do you feel it coming back to i you? feel back when the you, surge when you i did a thing where i put my whole mouth over the mic and scream into it oh really so you made that horrible distorted yeah, exactly. noise and the, the sound technicians did not like that at all that was back in the uh, in the days of dung beetle dung beetle yeah was that what it was called it was dung called beetle? dung beetle yeah you were uh, exploring the freedom we were we of were. the form we were pushing the uh, the boundaries yeah, a little bit. Yeah, for those few people, <laughs> yeah. you pushed the boundaries for about twelve people. <laughs> but did uh, did Dung Beetle ever record? We uh, recorded a few things here and there, never a, a full record, but we did some singles and some. We were on some a soundtrack for an independent film, things what? like that. Oh, really? What yeah. film? It was called Half Cocked, and uh, it came out in the nineties, and it was same twelve people enjoyed that movie. Do you remember the band? Uh, well. There were a lot of bands that were on the soundtrack, like the Grifters. I don't know if you remember them. Kind of. Yeah. What uh, year are we talking? I'm trying to figure out. When people ask me about music, it's sort of like, was I even doing anything but wandering around doing I guess comedy? it was mid-90s. It's like, yeah, I might yeah. have missed the whole... I think I missed most of the 90s. It's sort of a it's sort of a movie about a fictional band that gets in a van oh, okay. and, go, and goes. And then the filmmakers were in bands, too, and they used songs from friends yeah. who were also in bands. And so right. it was kind of a celebration of a certain moment in... A sad moment, maybe, in, yeah. in American well, indie rock. Uh, that moment, what is that? It was actually really a, just a moment. It, it was, was like it was about a like, year. It was more like three seconds. <laughs> like, for some reason in the 90s, I just, I missed everything. Like, LCD sound system, I didn't even know they existed. Well, they didn't exist in the 90s. They but didn't? What no, was that? They, well, that James Murphy. He's who, a friend of yours, Yeah, right? he is. And uh, he, he worked with us and... Uh, with Dung Beetle. He worked was, with Dung Beetle? Yeah. James Murphy did. Yeah. See, that's clickbait right there. That's going to break the Click music away. press. Yeah. They're just James Murphy, Dung Beetle connection. Well, I was just revealed. I was just with him the other night, and we were talking really? about who, do we listen to that music, or who even talks about that music? Which music? Like, just whatever was going Dung on. Dung Beetle? Dung Beetle, yeah. <laughs> 
You can subscribe to WTF Plus for every episode ad-free. Go to the link in the episode description or go to WTFPod.com and click on WTF Plus. Wait, before we wrap up today, I need and want to wish Brendan McDonald, my uh, producer, my business partner, my friend, a happy 43rd birthday, 40 fucking three years old, Brendan, Brendan, who I started working with when he was 24. We've been working together almost 20 years. This guy has had my voice in his head and he's become obviously one of my dear friends, uh, a guy I respect his opinion of on almost everything, a guy who advises me, a guy who filters me both on the air and off. Uh, somebody who, one of the smartest guys I know and, and an inspired uh, producer, and I would not be able to do what we do here and what I do in my life without him. Happy birthday, Brendan. You made it another year, 43. You're like a fucking old man now, huh? How's that feel? All right. So my tour dates are winding down. Only three more left this year. My shows at the Orange Peel in Asheville, North Carolina are sold out. Still some tickets for the show in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm at the James K. Polk Center on Saturday, December 3rd. And my HBO special taping is at Town Hall in New York City on Thursday, December 8th. There are a few tickets left for the second show up in the balconies, I think. You can go to WTFPod.com slash tour for all dates and ticket info. And here's a little uh, uh, John Lee style.
Boomer lives. Monkey and LaFonda. Cat angels everywhere. All right, all right, all right.